You ain't heard nothing yet. Get around, little bitch. What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make him an offer. You talking to me? Are you not entertained? I don't know who you are. Why so simple? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, I'm better. He's the lion! Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Like many of you, I've spent a pretty sizable amount of time watching the events that unfolded on the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday. So this episode, just to get it right off the top, may not have the usual polish that I normally manage to put into an episode, especially given how convoluted what we're talking about today can be. But I did my best, and I want, instead of doing something like delaying this episode, and to remain consistent, I decided to go ahead and continue on my regular release schedule. Anyway, last week we went over the creative figurehead of the film production hierarchy with the director, so today we're covering the individuals that make that all happen behind the behind the scenes. That's right, This week, we're covering what might be the oldest profession in filmmaking outside of the people who actually invented filmmaking, the producer. Do you know your EP from your LP? And what the hell is an associate producer anyway? We will answer all of this today and more, as well as looking at the origin of the job, the role of the producer throughout the production, the education pathways one might take in order to become a producer, as well as a modern issue within the role that has caused some controversy in recent years. With that, let's take our places. It's showtime. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be a producer, lunch at Sardi's every day. I want to be a producer, sport a top hat in the cave. I want to be a producer and drive those chorus girls insane. Where did the job of producing come from? Well, a version of it has been around since the birth of cinema. In the most basic terms, a producer is responsible for producing a film. So, no producer, no film. Simple enough, right? Even though producers have been a necessity since the genesis of film, their influence has shifted several times through the years, as has their status within the film studio hierarchy. In Hollywood's Golden Age, for example, producers were a part of the studio system. Producer was a staff position, and they would be assigned to a film by the studio head, just like their acting counterparts would be. The producer or producers would be the ones overall in charge of ensuring a film was completed from pre-production to premiere. 
unless they were relatively high up in the studio chain of command or more influential, they didn't typically get to really choose what projects they were put on. As I've mentioned several times in other episodes, the studio system overall was a pretty oppressive model, especially when looking at creativity and for a litany of other reasons, and only really allowed for the films the rich studio heads ultimately wanted to make to be made. But it did allow for the regulation and workflows to develop, so it's a bit of a double-edged sword historically. Before Paramount versus the U.S. in 1948, which you might remember split movie theaters from movie studios, producers couldn't really exist outside of the studio system with any hopes of their films being screened to the public in any real meaningful way. With this separation of movie theater and movie studio came the rise of the independent producer who existed outside of the studio system and therefore could choose which films they attempted to get made. This led the way to the modern independent producer, which is now more standard than a salaried studio one, though those still do exist, but with different responsibilities. In the 1960s and 70s, with the rise of the movie brats, think your Scorsese's and your Coppola's, the director took over as the more important member of a set creatively from the producer and the screenwriter. These new directors were given more influence on the look and style of their films than their predecessors had. We'll discuss that more historically next week. This was partially due to the aging movie moguls of the era not fully understanding what a younger generation wanted in terms of a movie-going experience, but some of the more savvy ones realized that the films being made by these hippies coming out of the film schools seemed to be making money and that was good enough for them. Today... The producer is generally an independent contractor or the head of production company. What does a producer do? We'll discuss that after a short break. Producers are around before a film is even greenlit, meaning approved and financed. They are the ones that generally search for and select potential projects, whether it be via a submitted script to their production company or acquired property like a book, etc. While there are many directors and writers that also produce their films, for the sake of this episode and to avoid confusion, I will be describing the process of a producer who is solely acting as such. If the producer acquires a script or project that is not completed, they will oversee the process of finishing the script with the screenwriter to ensure it gets to a place they believe will allow them to procure financing. Then they will pitch the project to studios and or potential financiers in the hopes of getting that oft sought after but difficult to obtain green light. Once they get their money and resources, the producer will sit down with their directors, making sure the budget is adhered to for the duration of the project. Don't want to run out of money halfway through post-production. Happens more than you think. So even though the layman often views the director as the, quote, boss on set, which is true to a certain extent, they ultimately work for the producers and the people who funded the film, depending on the contracts and project and, of course, influence. At the end of the day, the director will answer to the producer in some manner. 
Producers, depending on their influence, will sometimes work with the directors when it comes to creative decisions as well. Producers will also ensure harmony between all departments on set as well as the cast. Producers monitor the budget, schedule, and will be involved in viewing the dailies, all of the footage shot in a day, with the directors. When production wraps and the film reaches post-production, the producer or producers will work with the director and the editor to decide what takes should be included in the final version of the film. This can lead to issues along the way, which is why you'll sometimes hear about different cuts of a film being released, like a director's cut, producer's cut, studio cut, editor's cut, tons and tons of cuts. The most famous example of this occurring with a film, of course, is probably Blade Runner from 1984, which, according to several sources, has seven different cuts that have been screened by audiences in varying capacities. In a perfect scenario, once a final cut is assembled, if the film doesn't have a distributor, the company responsible and usually with the finances and access for getting a film into theaters, the producer will, quote, shop around the film to places that could make this happen. Once this occurs, the producer will oversee the marketing and then eventual release of the film. Now, I've broken this down to the absolute baseline for you to get an idea of how this job more or less works. Of course, the actual process itself is usually fraught with frustration and setbacks, especially for up-and-coming producers with limited funds and limited avenues in order to acquire said funds. As film has expanded from the one man with a camera on a street corner to the multi-tier job description they have today, so too have other jobs developed from it. There are a ton of different kinds of producers as a result of this. We're going to do a breakdown of these main types of producers after the break. There are quite a few different types of producers depending on what the needs of a project are. We're not even going through all of them in this episode, merely the ones involved in narrative films typically. There are also types specific to television and even documentary filmmaking, news, sports, you name it. I'm going to do my best to break these down as there is quite a bit of overlap and ambiguity even on the Producers Guild's website, the site that's responsible for regulating this job. The overall excuse as to why the role of producer can be a little bit vague is that there's not really a way to nail down what a producer does in an all-encompassing manner because they do so many things. With that in mind, here goes nothing. At the top is the producer, those most responsible for seeing the film from start to finish. They oversee every single aspect of production that we discussed prior, including the contracts and the agreements and the getting along and all of that. To break that down a little bit further, there's also co-producers, which is two or more producers who perform that task jointly or cumulatively. So basically, it's a divide and conquer type situation with a co-producer. Now, there's probably one of the more abused titles, which is the executive producer, who, if actually doing their job, is usually the one overseeing other producers from a studio level. And in the case of film, the job is slightly different in television and is usually used to describe the showrunner, is sometimes responsible for the acquiring of financing and may even deal with some of the creative and sometimes work on set. They often work on one or more film at a time. 
This job varies greatly depending on the size of the film as well as their power, therefore also shifts drastically depending on why they have received the EP title. Sometimes executive producers have hands-on control over every aspect of production, while others are involved in name only. Now, why does someone get a credit on a film they do not work on? Because their name attracts theatergoers and therefore potentially leads to greater box office returns. And it might make them look good if their name is on a film that, say, brings up a huge social justice issue or brings attention to a cause that they're passionate about. Just think how many listeners I would have if this podcast was called Steven Spielberg Presents the Tinsel Factory. More people would be inclined to tune in because his name is attached to it and is obviously infinitely more recognizable than mine, allowing this project to gain more attention. More attention means more ad revenue, more ads, more money, more money, more resources. More resources means being able to do this show in a recording studio versus my studio apartment. Because of the usage of executive producer in this way, the crediting of EPs in the film industry has risen drastically over time. In the mid to late 1990s, there was an average of maybe two executive producers per film. In 2000, that number jumped to 2.5. By 2013, there was an average of 4.4 executive producers credited on a film. This has caused several controversies, which we'll get to later in the episode. Next, there's a supervising producer, whom typically aids in script development and rewrites as needed. This role may also take on some executive producer roles as needed, especially on a bigger film. The next type of producer is the line producer. This is, in layman's terms, essentially your HR person and someone who typically works on one production at a time. They deal with any human resources that may drum up during production while managing the day-to-day -day budgetary concerns versus the big picture and getting the film completed. This individual will also act as a COO generally, responsible for assembling the shooting company, usually an LLC, open specifically for that production. They also take part in the recruitment of key members of the crew and services. They also oversee the location scouts, set building, union relations, cast, travel accommodation, the list goes on and on. Basically, if anything occurs on a production, the line producer more likely than not had at one point had to assist in facilitating it. In a big studio film, the line producer has the job to report back to the powers that be within the studio as to the day-to-day -day progress and goings-on of the production. In doing all of this, the line producer essentially ensures that the director is as unencumbered by the corporate side of things as possible. Finally, there's the elusive associate producer, which few are really sure what it is what they actually do. Well, by definition, the AP handles certain aspects of production as assigned by the producer. They don't really have a concrete job description. It's basically a high-ranking assistant. Usually the associate producer has worked through all three stages of the production. Sometimes the associate producer title is given as a courtesy to a key backer of the film who didn't have a major role in producing the film, but the producers kind of want to give them an honorary title. It's very elusive. So now that you're thoroughly confused, how does one become a producer?
So you want to be a producer. What kind of education will that take? Well, like most jobs in this industry, technically nothing if you've got the money, but you'll likely not be terribly efficient without some kind of film background. Most producers begin their career in film school, starting by producing their fellow students' projects. During this time, your college department works similarly to a studio, and you work on developing skills that you will require when trying to break into the industry after graduation. This includes writing scripts, physical production, editing, and budgeting, on and on and on. Without the experience or knowledge of these and several more aspects of film production, you're likely not going to succeed in the role. Since producers need the knowledge of the inner workings of all aspects of film production, many of them have come up doing different jobs within the industry, whether it be actors, writers, or even directors before producing. Once you graduate, you're likely not going to start at the top. For example, legendary producer David O. Selznick started his film career as a script reader before working his way up to producer. Irving Thalberg started as a secretary to Universal Pictures' president. He moved up to studio manager before becoming the head of production for MGM. And of course, Steven Spielberg produced and directed short films in college that attracted the attention of Universal Pictures. He directed episodes for television shows and made-for-TV movies before directing the movies that you know and love when he became an independent producer. And let's be honest, who you know doesn't hurt either. Earlier in the episode, we mentioned the increase of executive producers being credited on a film. Due to this increase of producers, some of which are attached to name only, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has put a regulation on how many producers could be eligible and nominated for Best Picture, the biggest prize of the Academy Awards. The title of producer, they believed, was given willy-nilly to people who didn't have anything to do with it and more as a ways to massage an ego of a high-ranking individual. And they weren't wrong. The limit to three producers was done in the early 2000s after Shakespeare in Love handed out five producer Oscars that night, and all of them made speeches. Since then, the Academy instituted a rule that the three producers who put in the greatest deal of work would be the ones that would be eligible to take home the top prize. There are workarounds for this, however. If two producers work together in a partnership, they are counted as one producer. Therefore, up to six producers could technically be eligible to win Best Picture, so that didn't actually change anything. That and the Academy has not strictly followed its own rule over the last 20 years. Times they did, however, the rule caused quite a bit of controversy, as there have been some producers who were part of the PGA, the Producers Guild, whom did not receive nominations for their work on the films Little Miss Sunshine and Crash in 2004, the latter of which would win Best Picture. Two of Little Miss Sunshine and several of the producers of Crash were removed from eligibility. In 2005, then-head of the Producers Guild Kathleen Kennedy, who is now the president of Lucasfilm, started a campaign with the goal to prevent, quote, credit creep. Quote, The title of producer has, in the last 20 years, become a bargaining chip, a negotiated perk given to those who can extract it from the studios, she said at the time. Her goal was to prevent the term producer from being given to those who did not produce a film. 
The campaign got several high-profile supporters, including Jerry Bruckheimer, Marta Kaufman, and George Lucas. Called Truth and Credits, the PGA created a checklist and criteria stating what jobs needed to be performed in order for an individual to be considered and credited as a producer legitimately. In 2011, the PGA proposed another solution, which they called the producer's mark. This would allow studios to credit whomever they wanted as producers. But once the film entered post-production, it would fall on the PGA to decide which of those producers would be eligible for awards. This distinction within film credits is signified by the P.G.A. after a producer's name in the credits, which you've probably seen in the last few years. For example, if you've seen the latest Wonder Woman film, if you haven't, it's meh, you'll notice that Gal Gadot, aka Wonder Woman, is credited as a producer, though she does not have the PGA designation that the others do. This means she likely did not meet the PGA's basic standard of making a major contribution as far as producing was concerned. If it were to get nominated for, say, Best Picture, it won't, but if it did, Gadot would not be eligible to receive a statue. Adding this title to your name is completely optional, as is applying for the producer's mark, which is given after the PGA gathers the eligibility forms, as well as third-party verification. By doing this, the Guild hopes to bring recognition to those producers whom are putting in the work. By doing this and distinguishing them for what they are, it brings credit where credit is due, instead of just being a bargaining chip. And that's going to do it for this week. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media where I also post photos for each episode at Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, at Tinsel underscore Factory on Twitter, on Facebook at the Tinsel Factory, or if you have any questions, you can always email me at TinselFactoryPod at gmail.com. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there, so if you could please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. In order to keep making this podcast, I've also set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes. Think of it as my virtual starving artist tip jar. This will allow me to keep making episodes as well as being able to acquire better equipment down the line. If you'd like to help out in any way, I'd very much appreciate it. I've also got some merch. Check it out at the link in the show notes. Next week, we're covering the architects of a film, the screenwriter. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, that's a wrap.